You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Yes, yes. Greetings to all of you wherever you are throughout the metro area. We've got people from First Church spread all across the neighborhoods and the communities that make up the Charlotte metro. And I miss you so much. I have to be honest with you. Uh, It feels really good in this house. Uh, We have a tremendous team of of worship people and musicians and talented worship pastor. And we have great uh, production staff people. But here's the full story. I'm going to tell you the whole enchilada. It's not near as good as when you are here. (laughs) It's much better when you are here. And we miss you. But the good news is, is you are and we are all of us going to get through this season and we will make it and it'll be better than ever. The Lord's going to help us to do that. I want to get right into my teaching here tonight. Uh, oftentimes we call this kind of a thing preaching or, or teaching or sometimes we'll even call it uh, a Bible study. Really what I want to have with you for the next few moments is a spiritual conversation. Uh, not so much a formal sermon type event but a spiritual conversation. And I want to talk to you about how uh, we pass tests in our life. And I want to show you a story in the scripture that speaks directly to this issue of passing tests, how we are tested and how we pass those tests. And so the story I am going to uh, reference you toward if you uh, are sitting in your living room or, or at in your wherever you are and you have your Bible with you, um, Luke chapter number 22 gives us the story of the Last Supper. And some very interesting things happen that are more than just the, the story itself, more than just a narrative of first this, then that, but are deep insights into spiritual things. And so I'm going to direct your attention here and talk a little bit from this setting. Uh, let's read at verse number 31. This is chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke. And the Lord said, he's speaking to Simon Peter, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So I'm talking about passing our tests. We all of us have tests that are a reflection upon our our spiritual growth. There are tests that are involved in us growing uh, to become useful in the kingdom of God uh, as a, a fit tool in the hand of a master craftsman to use some of the language of the New Testament. We all of us have tests. Now, if you are in any type of professional field or you have any type of higher education, the idea of tests brings back memories. Hopefully, they're not all bad. Hopefully, there were some tests that you absolutely crushed. Uh, All of us can remember some tests that we didn't do super good on, Um, but tests are a part of life. I have a a niece who recently sat for the bar examination to become uh, an attorney here in the state of North Carolina. And she had studied and studied, prepared, gone to literally years of school, uh, hours, countless hours of study, all to prepare for this one test. And as a family, we, all of us sent 
you know, words of encouragement to her. Uh, her family, her immediate family gathered her around her. Um, her husband made sure she had everything she needed, fed her a good breakfast, and then all of us <laughs> sent her off to take her test. And at that moment, when she, like so many of us who have set for any of our, our tests in our life, there's the moment when it doesn't matter how much other people want it for you. It doesn't matter how much your family wants it for you. It doesn't matter how much your friends want it for you. We may have already bought the celebratory cake. We may have already planned the dinner. We may have already gone through all of that because we want it so bad for you. But here's the thing. All of you who have set for tests, you know exactly what I mean. You have to enter that testing center alone, and you have to pass the test. And so it is, uh, so it is in a spiritual manner of our lives. Um, as, a, as a pastor, I often find myself wanting things for people. Um, I can see, because I have some distance, um, I can see something they need to overcome. <clears throat> and I'll find myself saying these words of encouragement to them. You're going to get through this. You can make it. This is a test. You're going to be victorious. And I say this to them, as many of you do. We are all of us uh, called to be encouragers. And here, uh, if you've attended First Church Charlotte any time, you know we're a very encouraging church culture. We believe you can make it. <clears throat> we believe you're victorious. We speak the promises of God over you. Even so, the test test requires you to rise to meet that test because the test is really not about uh, the questions themselves. The test is about you and your competence level. The test is not about the thing in itself. No one's freedom is depending upon a student sitting for a bar exam to get the right questions. There's no court cases depending upon the outcome of that test. Remember, the test is not about the, anything other than the competence and the ability of the person that is sitting for it. We all of us have tests in our life. I would go further than that and I would say what our world is going through right now with this infectious disease is another form of a test. Uh, what churches are going through now, being separated from the warmth of, of, of brotherly fellowship and uh, sisterly affection where we come together and we, we spiritually, as it were, connect with one another, um, that is, this is a test. Uh, we, in many ways, must overcome this test. Uh, the Lord may know of a greater test in our future that the test we're facing today prepares us for. In this 22nd chapter of the book of Luke, the Lord says to Peter, look, uh, Satan has desired you. Um, Satan is out to get you. Uh, he wants to test you. Now, the language they used is to sift you like wheat. And this is, this is an image that an agriculture society, an agrarian society would deeply understand. Most of us who, the closest we come to a farm is, you know, Publix and Harris Teeter. Uh, we don't, that doesn't have much direct meaning to us. We just think it sounds like, you know, someone's quoting the King James Bible. Uh, sifting is a process whereby the usable uh, edible portion of a crop uh, is separated from the inedible 
are not inevitable, but the inedible portion of the crop that cannot be eaten. Eaten. Um, there might be uh, livestock that can eat it, but it's not suitable for human consumption. So when you see a combine, let's say you're making a day trip and you're driving through the country <clears throat> and you look out on the field and you see a combine. A combine's different than a tractor. Combine has a big round thing on the front that's gathering in the harvest. And it looks like it's just blowing dust out of the back of it. Literally, what they're doing is they're cutting it, husk and all, leaves and all, and they put it into the first stage of sifting or winnowing is a word they used to use. And they separate certain size pieces from others. And they've so organized the machine that the edible, that which is good, will pass through and that which can be discarded will be blown out. This happens not just once, this happens repeatedly. Uh, In the ancient world, this happened first with a cutting of the grain and then a separating of of stalk from the heads of the wheat. Uh, That would be one stage, but there would even still be more mixed in and they would go through this process of cutting and then threshing and then winnowing. Uh, When you you get to the winnowing phase literally you fill up a, a basket with uh, the crop that needs to be separated and literally this is a very dirty job in case you're looking for a career path you can choose you throw it up in the air <laughs> and the grain or the the heavier parts that is actually the edible parts uh, fall right back to the ground and the wind blows the chaff slightly away as it be- begins falling down and you can separate the wheat from uh, the chaff this winnowing process This threshing process is literally a separation of that which is useless from that which is useful. And this is the example that the Lord gives Peter to help him understand what's going to happen to him. Imagine it this way. Peter, there's a lot in you that's useless for the kingdom of God. There's a lot in you that's not very useful in the kingdom. So wherever you are around the city, if you're sitting with anyone else, look at them and smile real big and say, just so you know, there's a lot in you that's useless for the kingdom of God. God can't use that. God doesn't really have much of a chance of using my temper. Now, I have a temper, but that's not very useful to the kingdom of God. Um, The Lord really can't use my ego much. I have ego, um, less than all of the rest of you guys, but (laughs) I have ego. The Lord really can't use my ego. There's a bunch in me that's essentially useless in the hand of God. But there are some things in me that God could mightily use, not for my glory, but for his glory. And the same thing is true for all of you. Uh, you, you need to see this moment of, of spiritual conveyance where the Lord Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, look, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be, there's going to be a threshing. There's going to be a winnowing. The, the things that are not so useful, that's going to be separated from that which is useful. Um, it is as though in this story that we are told here, it is as though there is a, a divine disagreement that is happening. Uh, and in the language Jesus teaches, with he he says it like this uh, Simon Peter uh, uh, excuse me Simon Satan has desired you uh, Satan thinks you're a part of his kingdom Satan thinks that there's a lot in you that would be useful for him 
Oh, how true it is that there's a lot in all of us that if it were not for the grace of God would only be good for promoting the things of this world and the things of the flesh. And I have just as much as anyone things in me that it could be very useful to promote the wrong thing. But I also have some things in me that God can use. And so the, 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 the threshing of our life, the separating, the sifting of the wheat from all of the unusable chaff of of our life. And then Jesus says this, and, and hear this, hear this. This is, if you think about this, and you don't just rush past it, but you think about this, this is so um, profound and it is so insightful. And it is, I think, I, 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 it, it can change our lives. And it, that is this uh, Jesus says, This, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. God can't have faith for you. Jesus can't have faith for you. I have to choose faith. Remember the image that you've heard me refer to a lot of the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, there's a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we shorten by calling it the tree of death because end of the day you eat thereof. That's when death begins in your life. That is when humanity begins to know death on that day. And here in this Garden of Eden, there is the two paths. And you choose to leave these things with God and you turn toward life. And this, I think, is a helpful teaching example to what's happening in Peter. Peter, there is the possibility in you uh, to to chase after the things of the flesh. a, A life of essential spiritual rebellion, just like The father of all spiritual rebels, Lucifer. And there's also something in you that I believe is going to be mighty and powerful. And I'm praying for you that you would have faith. God will not and cannot have faith for us. We must choose to turn toward the things of God. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. There is no antidote for faithlessness. There's an antidote for sin. The Bible's full of sinners that God changed and used for his glory. There's an antidote to sin, but there's no antidote to faithlessness. We must have faith. And so in the test, you choose faith. So uh, I'll shorten up the story here so you'll be able to, you'll be able to, to, to move along quickly with me. Peter will go from this moment and he will be tested in his faith and he will fail. Now, remember that. There's another individual at the table who is uh, going to have his faith tested. But in many ways, he has already set his heart toward uh, what he will do. Who we ultimately are really is the destiny, the destiny we finally live. Who we choose to be is the destiny we ultimately live. And so in the same time that Jesus is telling Peter, look, I've prayed for you that you keep your faith. I've prayed for you that you keep your faith. Not I've prayed for you that you don't sin. That's a bridge too far. (laughs) I've prayed for you that you keep your faith. There might be some people uh, listening to me right now and you've quit going to church because you know there's sin in your life and you think you shouldn't go because of of those sins. You've tried to make changes and you've been weak and you've quit. I want you to know this. The issue is not sin. The Lord will help you overcome sin and he will wash that sin away. The issue is faith. If you can find faith in your life, you ought to be a part of a church. 
if you can summon up some belief in the promises of God, if you can speak the, the word of God into your life, you ought to be a part of a church because you will be stronger with others than you'll ever be by yourself. Judas also was tested. Uh, Judas also is uh, attested. I, I want to remind you of, of Judas's reality. Uh, Judas has been with the disciples uh, pretty much as long as any of them. He has seen the miracles and he betrays Jesus because what he desires for the kingdom of God is not what Jesus is offering the kingdom of God to be. And so there is this choice in Judas's life where he decides at best to force Jesus to do what he wants him to do, which is overthrow Rome, or at worst, simply to turn back to the greed that is part of his nature that he should be daily repenting for, daily placing on an altar, daily taken to prayer. That's what you do with sin. The battle is a battle you fight almost daily. Some days are better than others, but almost daily you go back to an altar and you say, by the grace of God, that's not who I am. By the promises of God, I turn away from that sin. I am God's child. I am who God says I am. At best, Judas is going to try to manipulate Jesus into a political showdown with Rome by betraying him. Some scholars think that could have been the case, and none of us know. We, uh, God knows, uh, but that is some thought. Uh, other people think perhaps he just, because of the greed that was within, within him, he had a, a problem with greed, and the Bible gives us some images of him having a problem with greed. And um, isn't it interesting that the person with the problem of greed, the Lord lets... The money flow through his hands. We're in the business of trying to get God to take away the test. And God's in the business of trying to get us to pass the test. I don't mean to discourage anybody out there in internet land. I'm just telling you, we must pass the test. And so Judas uh, will turn away from that table of of, of Passover um, fellowship. And the Lord will say, that which you're going to do, do it quickly. Now, there are some people that think that perhaps... He was demon possessed, and they, uh, because the Bible gives some language in some of the in some of the reading that he had, uh, he had a demon uh, that was influencing him. I'll just give you my personal belief, and I'll speak carefully because uh, we should speak carefully with the word of the Lord. Um, and and that is this: I, I don't believe he was possessed in the sense that he had no control or no choice. There is a, a possession uh, that is manifest. Uh, fairly rarely, but manifest where a person loses their will because they are possessed by an evil spirit. Um, I don't believe that Judas could uh, have that possession and sit right beside the Son of God. That's, I believe it was more of an influence. It was more of a temptation. It was more of a continual wooing toward the path of the flesh, the path of sin, the path of spiritual re- uh, rebellion. And he ultimately failed that test. I, I believe it was that kind of a thing because uh, when Jesus spoke to him and said that which you're going to do go and do quickly there's almost the language of uh, choice and will you've chosen to do this and, and we balance that that tension in the scripture Judas will go out betray the Lord all of the disciples will forsake him it's not just it's not just one or two that forsake him all forsake him Peter forsakes him all of them forsake him Judas betrays him and so begins the passion of our our Lord they go to Gethsemane and it is there uh, where the soldiers will come and they will take Jesus uh, captive Peter is following at a distance 
It's, easy, it's easier to follow at a distance. I, as a Christian, have fallen into the habit of times of following at a distance and not being wholly committed and wholly sold out. And uh, there may be some of us that uh, we need to step into the place of identity. They know who we are. We are his and he is ours. We need to step into that place of identity and quit being uh, stealth Christians like the man who, who came into church and uh, he only came on Easter and, and Easter on, uh, and on Christmas and the pastor said to him, uh, it's good to see you. I, I see you so rare here at our service. And he said, pastor, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> uh, okay, corny joke, moving along. <laughs> Some of us need to move from the place of being far away and move into the place of identity. People know who we are uh, and we're not afraid to be identified. And, and, and so uh, Simon Peter is following at a distance and then at the moment of his own risk. You see, if you follow close enough, you will always end up in a place of risk. And that's what Peter is afraid of. And I, I don't want to speak judgmentally of Peter. I many times have been afraid when I found myself in a place of, of spiritual risk. It was a test to me. At this moment, it's a test to Peter. Peter will fail this test. He will, he will fear what will happen to him if he has been identified as one of the followers of Jesus Christ. He will fear the fate that may await him. Uh, He will deny. He will deny. And then finally, he will take on the actions of someone who no one would think is a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, he catches himself and he runs and bitterly weeps. And then he assumes it's the end of the story for him. This is his test. This is what he has, he has to pass. Um, he, at this moment, uh, assumes that his, his, his potential's over. And um, he's basically, a, a, he's flopped out. And he's not worthy of being of the house of faith anymore. And um, he, does, he does some interesting things. Uh, the first thing he does is he goes, he goes and gets his old job back. Uh, he goes and starts fishing again. Now, I want to say this isn't all bad. I I know as a preacher, us preachers oftentimes will preach it as though that's a backslider. Well, if he's not going to be one of Jesus' followers, he needs to pay the bills. I mean, and so if you're not going to be a man sent by God, you might as well go be, you know how to fish, right? Uh, This is his practical response to the failure of his test. There is a place for the practical. I want to take a moment here and I want to say that when you're facing a test, there's a lot of value and looking around practically and deciding what you can do. A lot of us are doing that right now with the, what's happening in our society. Uh, I want to encourage you to take action against the fear in your life. Don't just sit and be afraid. Take action. There are probably some things you could do. You probably could streamline your life financially. Um, don't wait. Don't wait until it's, you're in panic mode to do that. You can make some practical decisions now. Uh, you can look at some of the situations in your life. If you have a mortgage um, and you're worried about not being able to make that mortgage. Don't just sit and worry. Call the bank up. Ask to speak to a personal banker. Ask them if there's a way you can put your loan on interest only. We did that here at the church. It's a smart thing to do. There are, there are practical things you can do um, at the outset. If that's not going to work, well, at least I'll go fish, and I know I can do that. Um, but having done what you can practically do, isn't it interesting how Jesus is going to stop by for a visit? 
Because that is exactly what Jesus does. He stops by to visit with Simon Peter. And he has an interesting sort, uh, interesting type of question he's going to ask Simon Peter. And, and really, <laughs> this, is, this gets to the heart of the issue. He's going to ask Simon Peter this, Simon, do you love me? Do you see what you're being invited to in the kingdom of God is not some demonstration of personal perfection. You're being invited into a spiritual love story. You're being invited to walk with him. The whole of the Bible is written with the assumption you're going to get to know the author. The whole point of the giving of the spirit is that you can host the presence of God. The whole point of spiritual adoption and taking on his name in baptism is that you now are no longer an orphan, but you have become the son and daughter of Almighty God. The point of Calvary is so the separation that keeps you from the presence of God would be removed and you can be called the friend of God, the son of God. And one day when we're taken out of this world, we are going to be like he is face to face with him. It's a love story. Peter, do you love me? Um, So a lot of people at this moment, what they want to say to Peter is, Peter, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's what a lot of personalities, uh, personality types, when they meet someone uh, in failure, the person's failed the test, they meet them, they look at them, and what they want to say to them, because it's their personality, maybe it's the way they were raised, maybe it's all they know, but what they want to say to them is, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, here's why that's unhelpful. Peter's already ashamed of himself. Yeah. What Peter needs is hope. Yes. That's right. And so the question is, deeper than did you pass the test? Let me say that again. The question is deeper than did you pass the test. This is what I know about serving the Lord. There's going to be um, tests we pass and there's going to be tests we fail. And the test we fail, we don't get to skip. We come back to that test again. You fail it, you don't get to skip it. They don't, God doesn't move you up a grade. You go back to that test. Some of us, because of the fear that's in our society right now, are facing the test of this, of this uh, test called fear. And we are dealing with it. And if we don't learn how to do all we can do, and then after we've done what we all, all can do, that's the practical response, turn our eyes heavenward and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to bring me through. It's the choice of faith. That is the test that we, all of us, ultimately must pass. And so when Jesus speaks to Peter, he says, do you love me? Jesus could have, you know, been, uh, what do you call it when someone catches you wrong? I told you so. You know, that little bit of thrill. I'm right. You're wrong. I told you, you would deny me three times. Jesus has none of that. Jesus meets him. Peter, let's get to the core of the issue. Do you love me? When you look in your heart, do you see some love for me? If you have something in your heart that keeps drawing you back to God, I honestly can put all the other tests in your life that you're failing on hold and we can start just with that single thing. Do you have a heart for the things of God? Do you have a heart for the presence of God? Do you have a desire to walk with him in some way? 
That's, let's start right there. There's plenty of tests we're going to take. There's plenty of things that will pass. Plenty of things we'll fail and retake. Anybody who's taken hard tests know what it is. Uh, if you take enough hard tests, you will fail some and you will have to retake them. If you don't, um, if you have never failed a test, first of all, I'm mad at you and I think you need to repent for lying. Um, if you take hard tests, you will eventually flub a test and what do you do? You have to overcome it. You, you retake it maybe in a different way, maybe Maybe at a different time, but we, all of us will do that. But here's the central issue. Peter dropped the ball, failed everything. Do you love me? The love of God allows you to retake the test. And your ability to meet him, his love with your love, his knocking at your heart door with you opening the doors of your heart really creates a spiritual moment of renewal, a moment of transformation. And Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes. Like I said, I love you. Now, let me just remind you, I'm not going to take time tonight, but every time uh, Peter, uh, the Lord gives, speaks to him in the words of, of mission, feed my sheep. It's not just about you, Peter. Your success, your test-taking ability is not just about you. It's about other people. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Not getting into that tonight. And so I want you to see how Peter has to pass this test. And uh, he, he fails it. But there will come another day, not too far in his future, where the risks are still there. The risks of being identified as a Jesus follower. The risks of being seen as a political threat. The risks of being seen as part of a movement that arguably may ultimately, at least from the political uh, perspective, could be more dangerous than the man. And Rome could come after them. And if you know any church history, you know Rome will come after them. And more, Rome will kill most of them, if not um, almost all the apostles, except for John. I want, I want you to see... The test is coming again because Simon looked in his heart and he found there a love for the things of God, a love for the presence of God, a love for the words that have been given him, a love for the calling of God that is upon him. And he will pass the test the next time he takes it. What is the test that is in your life? I, I feel like there's some tests that are facing all of us. There's tests facing our nation. There's tests facing our churches. Um, I, what are the tests facing you? I want you to know you can pass that test. What are you going to do? You must choose faith in the middle of the test. Peter, I've prayed for you, Jesus says, that your faith fail not. You have to choose faith. You have to look right square into the risk, stand right in the place of identity. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. And you have to choose faith. This becomes the testimony of a person who is no longer of this world, but they have been adopted into the family of God and they are a member of another kingdom. And everywhere they go, they fly the banners of another kingdom and they speak the language of another kingdom and they pray the prayers of another kingdom. They are not their own. They've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus and they have been invited into the kingdom of God and every one of you, wherever you're at, you are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God and everywhere you go. Does that mean you're perfect? No, it means you retake the test. Why? Love won't let you give up. Love won't let you quit. 
Peter, do you love me? Yeah. All right, I got work for you. Love won't let you give up. Love is going to keep reaching for you. I don't care how long it's been since you've been in church. I don't care how distant you feel from church people. And I I know how you feel. There's been a few times in my life that I thought church people were crazy too. (laughs) I want you to see it doesn't matter. Why? Because in your heart, you have love. And love is always saying, come back. Come back. You can pass this test. You can pass this test. There's a mission on the other side of the the test. There is sheep for you to feed on the other side of the test. There's lambs for you to feed on the other side of the test. Amen. Amen. So as our musicians come back up, uh, I want to, I want to speak a moment to all of you uh, who are watching and I, I want to give you a chance to send in any prayer requests that you have. Uh, I should have mentioned it earlier, uh, forgive me for that, but you'll see on your screen there's a link where you can send a prayer request in. Two things will happen. First of all, those names that we have, we're going to pray right now, but uh, some, of, some of those names may be coming in. I want you to know um, we have uh, part of our pastoral team uh, is focused like a laser on these issues of pastoral care. Pastor Lisa um, manages this and follows this and tracks these needs and farms these out to the pastoral team. And she does a a phenomenal job. She does a better job than I ever did when I tried to do it all myself. Um, There will be your your need and your name posted in prayer groups uh, as we as a church hold them up. And so I know of a few needs. Uh, Sister Venice is very sick. Um, my, uh, My nephew... Uh, his wife uh, works in healthcare, and um, she had to she had to go home with a fever through this whole process. And uh, her family's being quarantined um, because of this. And we want to pray for them. Um, that is uh, on my wife's side of the family. And there's other needs that are going to be uh, on our screen here. And <clears throat> all of you church members watching this live, uh, just just pray with us right now as we begin to pray for some of these needs and believe together, Lord Jesus. We know you are able. To to heal. We're praying for Francis. We're praying for Angie Costa and her family. You know exactly the specific needs that they have in their life. Uh, you see the, the sickness that Sister Venice has. Uh, you see uh, Sister Elms, who has been sick for a few days, is getting stronger, but we even so are praying for continued healing. We're praying for Clarissa Sanchez and her family. Uh, we're praying for Kimmery Whetstone and her family. Uh, we're praying for the Hartzell family. Every need, spoken and unspoken, every individual that is fighting this disease, whether they're in a hospital right now, whether they're in intensive care, somehow will you bring us through this, Lord Jesus, as a society, as a nation. Uh, bring us through this and let us come not just through it with uh, nothing good coming out of it, but somehow through the, the tragedy of this, let there be a, a spiritual recycling process where good things are, are brought out of it, Lord. I pray that even in the isolation that we as a church are having through this social distancing, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a renewed love for gathering together. And when the time comes and the, uh, the uh, appropriate uh, risk has passed and the uh, orders from, from our governor and our, our, our mayor have, have, have been removed. That when we come together, we come with a greater appreciation one for another than we've ever had. A greater commitment one to another than we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it today. 
Amen. We're going to sing a song. After the song, I'm going to take a couple minutes and I'm going to address directly uh, the COVID-19 situation and how it will apply to our church. But before we do that, just coming out of prayer, let's, let's just join with our praise team and let's just sing this song. If you're at home, feel free to sing it with us right now. Strength like no other reaches to me. You are my strength. You are my strength. Strength like no other. There's no source of strength like the strength. You strength like no. There's no other strength like the strength. Reaches to me, reaches to me. You're my hope. You are my hope. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of disease. Hope like you no are my hope, Lord. And you give a hope like no other. Hope like no Hope like no other. Reaches to me. I wanted to take a moment just speak directly uh, to all of our church members who are watching this now or who will be able to watch it later. Um, it is appropriate that the church abide by all of the rules that our society is instituting to, to control this. It's appropriate. It is not a statement of doubt. It's not a statement of unbelief. That's just silly. Um, why is that? Well, unless you believe that we should handle serpents in church, you should believe that we should respect a virus that kills. Um, in the same manner that we don't tempt the Lord by handling a dangerous venomous snake in a church service. I know there's some people to do that. We'll leave them with their judge. Um, we're not doing it here. And if someone brings a snake, I'm kicking you out of the church, just so you know. No snakes. Um, <laughs> in the same manner, that's silly to, to just do it as a spectacle. It's silly of us not to respect this this, this situation um, because it's the kind of thing that you may be fine enough to over you may be strong enough to overcome it um, and it kills someone who's very very weak um, and it is highly highly dangerous much worse than the flu now I know people will talk about total numbers um, yes maybe more people die from the flu because of the total numbers of people who get it but of the people who get it this disease is much higher mortality rate uh, than the people who get the flu. Um, the, one of the head infectious disease doctors, um, part of the administration right now, clarified this publicly uh, that once you get COVID-19, your mortality rates are 10 times uh, as bad as the, the flu. Now, again, in total numbers, more people may pass away because many more people got the flu. But if you get this, it's much worse. So it's appropriate for the church to do this. And truly, the Bible teaches us, we are our brother's keeper. And so if keeping my brother means I take care not to be a transmission, transmitting agent or a vector for this disease, it's appropriate. The church will survive. We're going to make it. Uh, this will pass. Uh, once quarantine type events start to take place, things cut very quickly. The my limited understanding is that Italy has been the leading edge of this for a while and they are four or five days ahead of us on social distancing and quarantining and there's been no new cases as of earlier today in Italy for the past four days. 
And so that shows that it works. And once that happens, there's, there's many things to determine. There's perhaps a lot of people are working without much sleep right now trying to come up with solutions. We do not need to um, be bad neighbors um, and casually uh, indifferent of our society's fears. We are good citizens of our society. We don't handle serpents. <laughs> and we don't talk tough and strut around like gang members trying to claim a neighborhood. No. Uh, I know some people do that. That's fine for them. That's not what we do. Um, so I love you. I want you to know we're going to make it. All will be well. I want to say thank you to those of you who are downloading the Tithely app and learning how to do all that. You don't normally do that. Thank you so much. Our staff uh, appreciates it. Our ministries appreciate it. Our church is still involved in hosting, uh, taking uh care and helping people whenever there's needs that come and they're coming right now almost daily we're trying to help people lastly if you're elderly and you're uncomfortable leaving your house because of your risk if you're a high if you have high comorbidity you have conditions like heart disease um, diabetes uh, lung diseases high blood pressure um, if you have a special risk and you have you need something uh, you need to go to the grocery store you need to go get medication and you don't want to go out please reach out to us. I have many people who are offering themselves to help in any way because the way we deal with this is to help one another, take care of our weak, carry one another's burdens. So thank you, those of you who are supporting the church financially, uh, helping us maintain some modicum of operation around here. Um, thank you. God bless you. I want you to know that church wasn't very good tonight without you. We missed you, but we love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.